2: with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good
3: afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and welcome to another episode of Media Matters for Anfield Index. Liverpool, Liverpool, top of the league. We probably could just hang up and leave it like that. But before we do that, we have got a million things to discuss. So I am delighted, as always, to be joined by the renowned and the respected David Lynch. David, how are we?
1: Yeah, good. As you say, Liverpool, top of the league. So it uh, should, should be a good positive one. So looking forward to it. Yeah,
3: fingers crossed, touch wood and everything. We're on a good run since we started doing these at Monday lunchtime. So we can't
0: <laughs> change that. You take Super
3: All that type of thing. Yeah, nothing can change at all. So, ladies and gents, we'll be doing the normal. We'll be talking through the victory at Crystal Palace, where we'll be talking about performance, players individually. There are many, many talking points. We're going to have to hit the referees or talk about VAR and honest thoughts on that. We'll look at the normal players in focus. We'll talk about Jurgen Klopp's press conferences because there's a lot being digested from that recently. And as normal, we will pitch the questions that you want us to to David to get his thoughts. And I mean, David, this one, it almost feels like we're going to say like a Jamie Vardy style quote, but play something, but take three points. I mean, that seems to be the Liverpool mantra at the moment. I mean, we are top of the league and it's been an interesting week where we've beat Sheffield United away, we've beat Crystal Palace away. What's your kind of honest, gut telling you about how we're doing are you just kind of as long as we keep getting the points that's fine or have you got sort of slight concerns bubbling about what you're seeing at the moment
1: yeah I mean I I think it's fair for for people to be concerned at times because the performances have been poor for probably three games and I I think the the Palace one was probably the worst one of all really you know Klopp said it himself in his 77 minutes of just terrible football and then you know, you pull it out of the bag and, and dominate at the end it helps a little bit by the red card, of course. So I think it is it is fair for people to be concerned, but you you've just got to take sometimes the context of this period, haven't you? And how busy it is, how difficult that is for players, and fluency is the first thing to go when you get any sort of fatigue, um, yeah. and and when you're up against sides who you, you know there's been context to every game really in that. Fulham are clearly in unbelievable form at the moment so that, that on reflection looks like a, a good really you know a better win than it did at the time uh, Sheffield United getting the manager back that, that boost that they got from that and then obviously coming into this one Crystal Palace were at home where it's always difficult Liverpool have had some difficult wins at Crystal Palace down the yeah. years even when they've been flying also because I think Roy Hodgson sort of feels a little bit of pressure at the moment. And I think translated that to his players, that this was a big game where they had to put in a performance and get a result to sort of turn things around. So, you know, you just take the context, the individual context of the games and you can see why Liverpool have found it difficult. And the fact is, if you're going to find it difficult in matches and that is going to happen a lot to you over the course of a season, then can you come away with the win? And Liverpool are doing that. And I think, you know, there's some luck involved in that. There's also a lot of quality, a lot of mentality, a lot of grit. Um, so you know, I suppose it depends if you're you glass half full or, or not. But uh, you know, I, I sort of tend to side on on optimism generally, and I, I just think you've got to look at how busy this has been and how difficult it can be to get through. And the the huge steps forward that Liverpool have taken from last season, because they would have lost possibly all of these games, um, and, and to come away with the points is is absolutely massive. And they've now got hopefully a slightly easier period coming up, and then. Some Anfield games that, that should look after themselves in terms of motivation and um yeah, kind of kind of looking forward to, to all that. And and I think, yeah, I'm I'm in positive mood coming out of it. And I think you have to be when you when you win three out of three like that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. As, as much as it might not be the performances that people want to see. I mean, that's that's four victories in ten game in ten days, isn't it? Even four games in ten days will will take it out of the legs. We are just starting to, or well, we started to have a few knocks of key players as well. So you've got to look at the positives. I mean, that Palace game, This normally when I ask you this, we've usually got about five or six contenders and there's a big spread and it's great to sort of eulogise. Might be a shorter talk when I say, who was the man of the match on Saturday for you this time?
1: Yes, I I think... It was harder because I think the difference between this and the sort of Sheffield United game was that Sheffield United, Liverpool weren't very good in terms of they lacked that fluency again. But the, the sort of really restricted Sheffield United in terms of chances he could create. It was very much a ground out win, whereas this was kind of just a poor performance where they just pulled it out of the bag at the end. Um, so so as you say, sort of more difficult to pick out man of the match. But I did think Virgil van Dijk was class again in everything he did. Um, he is. Unbelievable at the moment. I think he's absolutely yeah. flying and, and been as key to anyone as this. You know, when you're in this period where you've got to really grind it out, to have a defender like him operating at the peak of his powers again has been absolutely massive. And again, probably the main difference between this season and, and the last really is, is Virgil van Dijk's contribution. Obviously, the man behind him, Allison, as well. Absolutely, I mean, he never let his level drop, but sort of the couple of saves that he made uh, on Saturday just... Unbelievable. And the, and the reason that you throw him in instead of Quivin Keller, who's done well while he's been in, but that, that's the reason after two training sessions that you say to Allison Becker, you're straight back in the side because there's nobody like him in world football. But I give credit to those two and I think, you know, a couple of other okay performances. But I think the, the man of the match for me has to be Harvey Elliott. I just think to to come on and do what he did um, in terms of, he just changes the game for me. It's not just a goal that he scores, which is brilliant, but he lays on that assist that is marginal, doesn't he? But it's, he completes 23 out of 23 passes. And that is absolutely what Liverpool needed. They needed to start. It's no coincidence that he comes on and Liverpool start playing the best football. And I know you can say about the, the red card, but he actually draws the yellow card driving forward. He's the man who gets fouled, which says everything about what the impact he was having. And like I say, completing 23 out of 23 passes, he moved Palace around, moved them around, moved them around. And the gaps just started to show. And Liverpool hadn't done anything like that. They were just trying to get it up really quickly and and, and making nothing out of it. But he had the patience and the sense. And what I, what I kind of loved most about what he did as well was that every time he was picking up those pockets of space and he was doing it better than anyone, Liverpool were looking to him. They obviously have these players. He's so young and yet these Liverpool players were like, OK, you take the responsibility. We know you are. Yeah. An absolute class act. I think that says everything about how good of a footballer he is. And he was the the hundred percent the architect of Liverpool coming away with the win there. And I think he's just a marvelous young player. And I, I'm so excited to to see what he ends up becoming. He's he's a super sub at the moment, but he will be more than that for Liverpool eventually. But if he can keep to the super sub role this season and, and keep having these big impacts and, and and be as as good when he when he starts the odd game as well, then. Yeah, it's really exciting, and I just think he's a yeah marvelous footballer, as I said, and, and really, really enjoyed his cameo. I thought he was that made him man of the match, even though he he didn't play that much.
3: Yeah, true. There wasn't really many. I think Jurgen Klopp said it, didn't he about the poor performance? There wasn't many contenders after seventy six minutes, etc. And I think the the thing about Harvey, it felt like the un, England under twenty one Harvey we've been seeing where he dominates those games, gets on the ball, you know, make makes that team tick. I was going to ask you because. We're almost we're putting now Harvey Elliott, and I'm hearing it on social media and different places, into that bracket, into the David Fairclough, Divakarigi, that sort of super sub bracket. Is that enough for now? Even if he stays that this season, is that still at his age? I know because I know you've watched Lyrical before about him at all and he's developing. Is, is that enough for now, even if he does it this season and maybe kicks on next? Is Should we accept that still rather than putting pressure for him to, oh, he's got to come in and perform and be this straight away?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely think that should be enough at the moment. I mean, he's, he's 20 years old, isn't he? And to be having this sort of level of impact already on a team that is, you know, at the moment is is right back to its top form. So a team that's going into every game open to win. Um, I, I just think that says, uh, it's it just, it, you know, we, we shouldn't expect not every player is going to be due Bellingham. And I mean, I'm, and I'm saying that as if, you know, Harvey Elliott's some way behind. Like, obviously, he's not, he's not Jude Bellingham and he's not that freakish sort of incredible comes through as a teenager and absolutely tears everything apart. But he's still, he's only 20 and he's having a massive impact on Liverpool and, he, yep. and he, he's doing so in a, as I say, he's the player that people were looking to yesterday. And you think about some of the talent that Liverpool have had on the pitch in those final moments. And it was like, where's Harvey? Where's Harvey? We've got to pick him out. Um, you know, I just think that says that he's just in an unbelievable place at the moment. And yes, being super sub this season is a, is a really good foundation, I think, to, to move on and, and, and be an absolute superstar for Liverpool. The fact he's already played so many games already and he's, he's just in a really good position. Um, and, and fans should just be really, really excited about what's to come next because he's just showing. I, just that he's a remarkable footballer, and 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 yeah, there, there is so much more to come from him. And yeah, we we shouldn't be sort of worried that he's just the super sub at the moment because he's still so he's a, he's a child basically. He's so young, so yeah. yeah, a lot lot more to come from him. But what he's doing at the moment is still really exciting.
3: Yeah, it it definitely feels whichever way anyone dresses it up, he's gone up a level this season. As long as that progression keeps happening, that's all we can look for. And I mean, speaking of subs, the interesting one, like you said. Harvey's the the headline. Curtis Jones came on and made an impact. And maybe one, a, probably a less fashionable one that maybe didn't quite get the acclaim. Joe Gomez makes a real impact when he comes on at right back and that allows Trent to sort of push on. I mean, we've seen that a few times now. Is the, is the evidence starting to gather pay, shall we say, that Gomez there maybe more regularly, Trent pushing on? Are you starting to see it that way or is it just... That he did well, and it's good to have. We should
1: leave it at that. I think. I think it's good to have for, in terms of. I think what we're seeing now is that Joe Gomez has really sort of nailed what it is to to play right back. Because I think he did used to look a little bit uncomfortable there at times, and he looked like a centre half out there. But whereas now he's sort of he's so good at holding that with the little one two exchanges, he's got the pace to get in behind, and and he's just and he gets his head up much better than he used to, and he, he's picking out passes, putting in really dangerous crosses. So he's come on leaps and bounds in terms of that. Um, I think in terms of what it means for Trent and, and moving him into midfield is, I, I still think there's, you know, I, I still think it's not something I'm absolutely desperate to do in, in terms of, cause I think he's a number eight rather than a number six. And, and again, Liverpool are really well stocked in those number eights. But I think w- what you've got is you've got an opportunity to do that late in games. In, in I think when it, when it comes about and where Jürgen Klopp will look to do it is when teams get really, really deep. So there's basically no counter attacking threat anymore. And um, you've got so much space where you can push Trent into that area and you don't really need to hide him in any way. You can just he can just be there. He can start his starting positions there because the opposition are not going to press anymore. They're just looking to hold what they have. And that is exactly what happened against Fulham. He saw that Fulham were just, okay, we've got a bit of the lead here. We're over two-two and we can we can retreat a little bit and thought we're gonna we'll we'll back off, we'll give space. And so there's no there's no, like I say, there's no need to to hide Trent in those situations. Um and and, and we saw that again against Crystal Palace. So I just think it's it's sort of horses for courses really. If Liverpool are in that situation, that's a a really good option for them because they don't lose anything at right back as well. But I think with Trent, it's worth noting that obviously he does move into midfield eventually in, in, later in the game. But he, he creates six chances throughout the game, fourteen passes into the final third. Nobody gets near him for those sort of numbers, and yeah. so that shows that even though he's playing at right back. He was hugely influential on what Liverpool were doing. You know, not not a lot of those came in the, the final moments when he gets pushed into midfield. It was a lot of that was done from right back. So he was one of the few players who was actually playing well and was having an influence in the way that he was supposed to. Um as I say, I think that moving him into midfield is a is a break glass op- option in various particular situations. But it's good that Liverpool have got it at the end of the day because I just think, you know, it clearly works. It's it's helpful, it helps them have more threat in those final moments in games. And um, I'm sure we'll be seeing it again at some point this season.
2: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
3: Yeah, I think that there was that stat was not the Liverpool of now once we like 18 points from losing positions and it does feel like progressive like we'll bring a forward, we'll change the forward line, bring switch those up, then Harvey can come on to maybe change it, then we can push Trent forward. It almost feels like Jürgen's got those options, like you say, break the glass, activate, whatever you want to say and and it's working at the moment. So, yeah, exactly. Horses for is probably the right phrase on that. I mean, on the other side, the, there is a few concerns which are naturally bubbling. You don't want to sort of overemphasise them when we are top of the league. But I'm sure you've plot this, that the forward line as a whole does look a little bit blunt, would probably be the phrase that I would use. What would you put that down to at the moment, realistically? And I know that's on the back of Mo Salah again, get a goal and assist, hitting 200, but as a whole it's just not quite flowing again over the last few games
1: Yeah I mean I think this goes back to what I said earlier in the podcast in terms of I think fluency and attack is the first thing that goes when you get any fatigue it's the hardest thing to do in football is to break down a low block and that's typically what Liverpool come up against in 90% of games Uh, and that is the first thing that they seem to find difficult as soon as they come in this period and and got a little bit tired and I mean I'm not massively worried about that and I don't think people should be because I think Earlier in the season, I don't think anyone would have said the forward line was a worry. Um, Liverpool are second-top scorers in the Premier League as well, just behind Manchester City. Um, So, you know, forwards aren't really an issue. Surely that collection of forwards is going to click again and we're going to see, hopefully we'll see a week of rest now. Don't want to see them near that Europa League game. And then we'll see them bounce into these games that are coming up at Anfield. I'm really hoping that's going to be the case. And I I, I think there's, you know, there's there's been a good share of goals around between them as well. Um, You know, everyone sort of contributed in this season. So, I don't. I don't think the forward line is something to worry about. I just think they need a little bit of rest, a bit of like you know not having two three games a week seemingly uh, as they have done recently, and and hopefully that just gives them that little bit of pep back and they can you know work on some stuff in training as well, and, and and that will suddenly bounce back because they were they just weren't an issue in the early part of this season, and it's just as I say that that tiredness is maybe creeping in and making it a little bit more difficult for them, and getting Jota back would be. Really handy, suit yeah. as well because he is such a goal threat. You know, he's probably second to Salah really in terms of his finishing ability and threat around the box as, as a poacher. So um, that that will be helpful as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like like you say, they they still the goal record still brilliant. And there was a big game coming up at the weekend, which would be good for it to click as well. But we'll come on to that later, I suppose. <laughs> the only other thing that a few people have sort of mentioned, and it is fair to to call out because we have praised him quite a bit. It's not quite happened for Ryan Gravenberg these last few games. I think I was personally surprised that Curtis Jones didn't start this game on Saturday. I mean, what would you put that down to? Is that just still giving time, he's young, that type of thing? Because it does seem to have been a noticeable drop-off that way.
1: Yeah, I think you're just going to get these dips, aren't you, from time to time with a young player who's coming to a new league, is still adapting, still learning what what's happening, and also you know he's struggling as much as anyone with the fact that Liverpool's forward line isn't quite clicking. So creatively, Liverpool are a bit sloppy, a bit of tiredness. Um, you know th- this this calendar that Liverpool are in at the moment as well is very very English thing, isn't it? In terms of the the intensity of it, so. Um, I think, you know, again, he's kind of getting used to that. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I think you, you've got to remember it's not that long ago. Is it three three four games ago when he comes on at Manchester City and, and changes the game in Liverpool's favour? So yeah, I think he's clearly a class act and he's had a good start to his Liverpool cl- career in general. We want to see him put it all together. And I think what's interesting, I think with the, the Curtis Jones things, I, I'm surprised he wasn't used. I, I, I kind of wonder whether he's carrying a little knock or something that's that's mm-hmm. keeping him from starting games because I think he would have been a, an absolute go-to in, in some of these games um, hopefully you know, there's nothing like that and he is fit and he can play a big part because I think for me at the moment because Gravenberg's having that little stutter maybe see Jones on the side he's a really safe option in these big games that are coming up and I, I would like to see him play in them
3: yeah absolutely I'd yeah, be very surprised if maybe that big one he's not there for and I mean We're going to have to talk about the referees. I know we try and avoid it normally because it's a a hot topic. But, yeah, thinking of Curtis Jones, he was wiped out. And if the Sellers goal hadn't gone in, I suspect we'd have had a penalty and a Joel Ward second yellow. Now, the the decisions here, there were some big calls. And I know there was some furore around these, David. I mean, the first one, I'm surprised this was argued or took so long. The Endo foul, or the one where Endo was fouled that, that led to the penalty that was reversed. Straightforward for you, foul on Endo, that one
1: yeah absolutely but i i want to kind of defend the referee in this situation i think people get a bit heads up really about around these situations so i think i think what people need to do is you sort of take take a step back sometimes and impart your allegiances and sort of think you know come from the perspective of okay how is the ref you know why might it take the referee so long or how come he's arrived at this decision that doesn't inst- that doesn't um sort of tally with the decision i instantly reached it, it, you know calm down you know come back and take a step back as i say and, and think about it so when you actually look back and you, if you watch the endo foul again, in, in real time, I thought, yeah, look, looked a foul to me. But I, I don't mind the ref playing advantage in that situation because if he gets that wrong and he stops a counter-attack, that isn't right, is it? You know, we don't want to see that. So he plays on in the, that initial phase and that that's fair enough, that happens. Um, and then when he sees the replays, and if you watch the replays that he's shown on by VAR, the first couple, I actually don't think it looks a foul. and I, And I completely understand why the referee goes, Ah, uh, hang on a minute. Should I should I actually be overturning this? Because the first couple of angles are really not conclusive. It's until he sees the angle where you see Endo's facing the camera, Will Hughes is facing the camera. You can quite clearly see the leg comes around, trips in, he's yeah. got his hand on the other side. That is the most obvious angle. And they show it in last. So, what I like is in that process there is that they've shown him every angle. He also has to be shown it in real time, uh, which again we want referees yeah. to do. So if you'd have just seen the two angles that you shown first and you didn't know what you knew and you hadn't seen it from the T V angle, the high angle like we all had, it's quite easy to see why the referee's not instantaneously going, Yeah, foul, no, 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 no penalty. It, it, you know, but but people get so angry and 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 het up around these situations. They yeah. don't give the referees a chance, and ultimately he comes to the right decision on that. And I think we should absolutely, in a period where we're talking, oh, well, it should have been quicker. It should have been quicker. Well, if we, it should have been quicker, that's how we end up with situations like the Luis Diaz goal being ruled out because people aren't thinking. They're not taking the time. They're not taking a breath to have a look at it. He looked at that. He got every angle. He he, he made the correct decision. Fantastic, and and I just think we shouldn't be complaining about that when we've seen so many wrong decisions previously. Um, I, you know, it's it just madness to me that. that and, I, and I've said it, you know, many a time that the, the referees cannot win in those situations because the the decision is either um, a subjective one that people bizarrely call corruption, even if it's a, it could go either way. <laughs> yeah. Would say or it wasn't made quick enough, or or in uh, Jared Gillette is, uh, makes the decision in the Arsenal game. Oh well, how did he see it on the pitch? So, he, oh, he's, oh, he, he but he, he's getting criticised for making the correct decision on field. It's 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 just crazy, and I think we all pundits, journalists, fans, managers, players, we all need to just calm down around this stuff. And, and like I say, sometimes approach it from the referee's perspective and see why it might take a little bit longer or why they come to that decision. And I thought the endo one was a really good example of that. Until he's shown that final really decisive angle, I don't want him to rush into the decision because if he would have rushed that and he hadn't seen that final angle, I actually don't think he overturns it. Yeah, probably a fair shout. And like you say, that Havertz,
3: that Havertz one that the, the Gillette gave, what a shout. I didn't see that in real time yeah. as well. So you've, you've got to give him credit for that as well. It's a great spot. I mean, I think you're right. The, the one thing I took away from Saturday was... I think TNT Sports were literally on the verge of a GoFundMe page for Roy Hodgson because of the second (laughs) yellow page and all those types. But that builds the drama itself. I think that goes into it. But like you say, maybe taking a a step back, it's just something that everyone should think about. I mean, the interesting one, and for me, the one that sort of I find intriguing, I'm trying not to go there, like you say, the penalty that's given – on for the foul on by quanta sorry it did feel and and i kind of got what people were saying at the time like we carried on for a fair while that one david before we went back i mean i suppose there's two points there in the cold light of day did you think it was the right decision and the second thing that delay for carrying on because i'm sure you've seen it people were like well hold on Lewis Diaz, and all those types of things the game did seem to go on for a while what was your take on those two things
1: Yes, it's a penalty, isn't it? <laughs> I just think yeah. if, if, if it happens, you know, if there's any Liverpool fan out there who's thinking there's no way that's a penalty, just think if Luis Diaz gets tripped in the box in that way, you're not screaming for a penalty. It's, yeah. you know, it's it's a trip yeah. in the box when the the Mateta wins the ball, he gets the touch on the ball, and a, a clip on his ankles, and it makes him fall over. There's not even a dive there. I think he clip he clips him in a way that it would trip you up. It would it would absolutely trip you up. And okay, so. We, we, if we, you know, if we come to some agreement on the fact it's a penalty. The fact that there's no break in play is quite unusual. That there's no one, uh, not a foul or a, yeah. a throw in or anything happens. So what we're saying is, okay, if we by some bizarre chance we get through a minute and a half of play without the the ball going out of play, we don't want the correct decision being made after that. So you know, that's the argument I feel that people are making. Oh well, why did it take so long? Well, because there was no stopping play it wouldn't have taken that long if there had been a stopping play and we can't start to say, oh, well, because there was just by pure luck and pure chance, there was no breaking play, no throw-in, no anything, that we don't want to go back and make the correct decision. I I just find that absolutely madness. That for me is a, is a a nailed on penalty and if Liverpool hadn't got it, you would be absolutely, you know, aggrieved about that. Um, You know, it's a, it's a clumsy from Kwanzaa, the first sort of real mistake we've seen him make a Liverpool shirt. He's still a young player, isn't he? Um, But, you know, Liverpool can have few complaints about that one. It's absolutely a penalty. And, you know, people should probably even more settle into that on the basis that, well, they won the game anyway. So don't be too downhearted about that. And it was the correct decision.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've got to be guilty a little bit of the hypocrisy because I know full well, like you said, if that had been the other way, that would have been my prime question to you. Like, are we being hard done to with VAR and all those bits? So, yeah, it it does flip both ways. There's no two, you know, we've got to be, straight down the line in this and probably the final one which again uh, it just has that feeling they made such a furore over this on TNT Sports and other places the second yellow card for Ayu, that Harvey Elliott's breaking away maybe I'm looking too simplistic into this that just felt like the right decision is that how you saw it?
1: Yeah absolutely I mean you see there's a wide angle that that, that, uh, I tweeted if anyone's not seen it it might be worth having a look And, and you see that Liverpool have got either a a 5v3 or, you know, if you, if you give Crystal Palace the benefit of the doubt and the player in the middle gets back, then maybe a 5v4. It's a very definition under the laws and it's under law 12. If anyone wants to look it up, I keep getting people tweeting me asking, well, where's that rule? Okay. It's under law 12 under uh, cautionable offenses about it. And, and it concerns uh, when you stop a promising attack and that every time, every single time is a yellow card. Um, another spot on decision by the referee. Um, you know, just no question about it. And, and as you say, with TNT, I, I sympathise sometimes because I think commentators and we're all guilty of this as journalists, and again, fans as well. You want the underdog to win a lot of the time, and uh, because it's a bet, it's a better story, and um, it is just more interesting when the underdog wins, and particularly because Palace had played really well up to that point as well, and had really stopped Liverpool, made it hard for them, um, and obviously there's a, an affection to Roy Hodgson as well, which I'll never understand, but it, it exists. Uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, it, you know, I, I can totally understand why you can get on board with that, but. The idea that the, the rules shouldn't be applied in you know uniformly in in situations which are barely, you know, that that is between the line of objective and subjective for me because it just is it's a trip, a clear trip in a situation where a promising attack's been stopped, you know, it it should be a yellow card every time. And if the if the yellow card's not shown, that would go down as a referee in error. So I thought again, got it absolutely right. And that for me is is three decisions there that the, the referee, you know, big decisions that had a huge impact on the game. Yeah. The referee's got every single one right, and yet there seems to be this uh, desire to discuss the performance and whether it was you know, another shocking performance by a referee. And that, again, to me just underlines that they just cannot win in any situation, can they?
0: Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Yeah, true. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting one. and I'll hold my hands up because we all kind of lose our heads for a minute at times. I've done it, but like you say, in the cold light of day when you watch it back, yeah, you got to be straight down the line on these, and fingers crossed. In a way, we keep saying, keep saying this though, so I'm a hypocrite of it myself. We won't be discussing referees, but it seems to be the incidents, <laughs> the things that come oh, up. We, so,
1: regardless of whether they make the right or wrong decisions, we will be discussing them because that's that is the nature of the the, the, the discourse at the moment. And I, I really, honestly, I just want it to to really calm down because it is. It's crazy. Even if they're, they're getting things right, they're getting hammered, and I just think it's it's very unfair. And we're never gonna never going to reach that dream situation where everybody agrees with the decisions because people are picking apart ones that are, that are right. It's, it's, yeah, it's a shame really. And it, it ruins football for me because let's talk about, you know, the, 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 the wins and the the goals and the, the actually interesting stuff.
3: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It, it it still, listen, it still staggers me that about this time on Monday, I'm sure you've heard of it. There's a program called Ref Watch, which loads of people tune into like, what that's got to do with the football, but hey, that is a different topic we could go off on a proper tangent on. But bringing it, I mean, bringing it back to the players, again, there was one player that kind of, and you know guys that we look at a player sort of each week, focus on how they've been doing in the season. A player that has fallen under somewhat of a spotlight recently, Luis Diaz. I mean, David, the start to the season, two in two. I mean, he's flying at the start of the season. There's no two ways about it. And then, Again, there's a bit of a, a dip. There has been a few moments of high, like that that last header the other night was absolutely sensational, no two ways about it. But it's probably, again, the last few games there's been a few question marks under him. So how would you kind of view his season so far, how he's getting on?
1: Yeah, I think it's been up and down. I think that's fair to say. I don't think we've seen it in at his best at the moment but I think you know he's getting a lot of scrutiny in this period at the moment where you know I don't think a lot of Liverpool for- or any Liverpool forwards are playing particularly well and that goes yeah. to Darwin Nunez, Mo Salah's not quite looked himself either right. you know he gets, I know he gets his goal at Palace but hasn't been fantastic in this period you know Gapo either really and um, so you know he, he, his performances at the moment have got to be viewed in that context I think what he is doing for Liverpool at the moment is he's he's coming too deep, deeper than you would like him to at the moment yeah. to, to collect the ball, but he is helping them get it forward. At least he's, he's carrying the ball. And I think he's being hurt as well by not having that rotational option on the left-hand side. You know, Jota's is a big loss in terms of helping him. I think there's certain games that suit Diaz, certain games that suit Jota. And it's, it's kind of, he's just being asked to, to carry the load at the moment. So um, it, it's hard. And I mean, we know everything that's going on in his personal life. He's got over a season where yeah. he, he didn't play much football either. So it's, you just got to all throw throw all that in, and I'm I'm just hoping again. You know, similarly to the rest of the forge, really, that a, a bit of a rest week will will help rejuvenate him, and 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 playing back at Anfield as well, and hopefully we can see him see him get back to his best.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right. You do notice it the last few games coming deep quite often. At peak Lewis Diaz we associate he's got the fullback isolated going at the last man. And we still see that a few times this season, like Ashley Young fell foul of it, didn't he? When, you know, he does go to to the byline. Probably the thing that, and, and maybe this is harsh, but I do want to ask you because it gets mentioned a few times, doesn't it? There's that almost, is there a lingering concern over the couple, I should say the couple of knee injuries that he's had, the couple of operations that he might just have lost that explosive half yard. Do you see it that way? Or is it just a combination
1: of things at the moment? Personally, no. I think this is so, something people say to be honest about players when they've had an injury. Is that, that you, you know it's been said about Van Dyke. You know, remember people saying that last right. season, "Oh, he lost a yard." Well, no, not really. He just wasn't playing very well. And you know, you know, I watch Van Dyke when Embuemo tries to get away from him against Brentford at Anfield earlier this season, and and, and hits the ball down the line to, to sprint it off, and, and Van Dyke. Easily, easily outpaces yeah. him, you know, and Bueno has a yard on him and he catches him and, and shoulders leans into him, and gets the ball out of play. And um, so, Virgil van Dijk had an ACL injury and he didn't lose a, a yard of pace. And I think Luis Diaz just isn't playing well at the moment. But the idea that he's lost this yard of pace, I just think it's such a go to. It's, it's, it's a nonsense, really. I, I don't believe that at all. And I don't think Diaz was ever sort of, a quick as well anyway um, you know I think he's still a very quick player don't get me wrong but I, I don't think he's ever quite as lightning as that um, so I, I don't agree with that I just think he's not playing fantastically well at the moment what I want to see more of and this is Liverpool in general is to get him in more situations where he's one-on-one at the edge of the box or just inside yeah. the box that isn't happening enough for me and that's not Diaz's fault that's the way Liverpool are playing at the moment they're not sort of they're not as fluent in attack. They're not getting the ball into dangerous uh, situations as frequently as they, they have done previously. Right. So I think that's what I want to see, is, is him put into the, the areas where he does his best work. Because I think, you know, dragging the ball up the pitch, yes, he's got that in his locker. And that's something Liverpool need to rely on at times. But he's doing too much of that from deep positions. And that's because Liverpool need it from him. Um, so I'm I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping we'll, he will, like the rest of the forwards, will we'll turn a corner coming into this period. Because the... That forward line, they can't really keep getting away with it, not playing particularly well, but it's been a difficult period and I'm hoping things will ease off now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You do hope that's what Jurgen Klopp's saying to him, like right? you say, get into that area, isolate your last man, look at what's happened when you can, or both options to go down the line, like you say, cut inside because we know he's got that in his locker to, to bend one in or make things happen. So, yeah, fingers crossed the forward line, do come to the to the party that way. I mean, I've got to put these few to you because naturally... I don't, viewers asked me to, and I was going to anyway, Jurgen Klopp's press conferences are naturally coming back into the mix, aren't they? And the quotes and things, especially this time of the year, we're hitting silly seasons, so people will almost pounce on anything that's said, overanalyse it potentially. And you probably know where I'm going with this. The Klopp and the the transfer quotes, the Matip, the questions around the the defender. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. It was the the last question that he was asked, wasn't he, by James Pearce about you know, transfers. And, and he, uh, my my words here, I think he seemed a bit spiky by it. He wasn't too happy. And then the eventual overall answer was, no, I don't think so. I don't expect anything to happen. Are you setting much stock in these comments, David, or do you think we're all just going a bit crazy over them somewhat? I
1: think uh, I wanted to sort of address his spikiness first, because I think, I think it's it's kind of unfair, really. His I, I, attitude around transfers sometimes is, is sort of bizarre to me. I think, Look, if he hates transfers that much, then you know why? Why sign like this summer? Why sign McAllister? <laughs> why not go in with a, a midfield of Jay Spearing and James McConnell this season? Um, you know, if, if, if transfers are that. Sort of offensive, you know. It's just nonsense. It's a big part of football, and he he actually doesn't get asked about it that often at the press conferences. We we hold back from asking about it because we know we're going to get an answer like that where he's kind of unhappy about it. I I really don't understand that. It is a big part of football. It's a big part of improving your team. It's been a big part of Liverpool's success under Jurgen Klopp. Yes, his brilliance, but adding the correct players at the right times and 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 them fitting in seamlessly. So you know, and with Matip, you know. That's it's going to be something that at least Liverpool look at in the summer. So is it a possibility that he move that forward to January? I don't think that is a, an unfair question at all to be asked in a in a press conference. And I, I didn't I didn't really like his tone. I must I must say that I think that's kind of unfair. But in terms of what you take from it and whether he's being truthful or not, um I, I, a tough one really. I, I mean, he he does lie from time to time about these things, but it is also yeah. worth mentioning. And I kind of look back at this in the aftermath of what he said um about what he said. He was asked about transfers last December um in the build-up to obviously signing Cody Gakpo in the end. And, and the quote was, and I, I wrote it down, he said, if something happens, uh, sorry, it, you can imagine the situation we're here in that we are probably looking, if something happens, we will see. So he actually did, prior to, to Gakpo signing, he actually left the door open for it and uh, didn't shoot <clears> anyone down in that situation. So I think you kind of got to take... It, it, it face value, really, that Liverpool possibly aren't looking. And I think that is based on the sense that, okay, Matt, it's out for the season, but there's clearly a faith in Quanta. As I say, that was his first real mistake he's made against Crystal Palace. Um, but if you're going to, you know, what Liverpool had in that situation coming into this season was, was you know, they didn't know it at the time, but five senior centre backs possibly. And now they're down to four, which you'd say is a fine number if Quanta is ready. Now, that for me is the big, the huge question mark. Is Quanta going to? start making mistakes now or is he, is he ready to, to be that fourth-choice centre-back and, and end up playing quite a few minutes between now and the end? Yeah. You and I would maybe struggle to answer that on the basis of the small amount of matches we've seen. But Jurgen Klopp sees him in training every day and I'm sure he knows the answer to that question. If he thinks he's ready, then absolutely I'm fine with Liverpool going with, with four centre-halves for the rest of the season. That is an absolutely fine number to have. Most of the clubs have exactly four. They wouldn't tend to have five senior centre-backs. Yeah. If he's not ready and Liverpool think it's a risk to throw him in from time to time, then for me, they should be signing someone in January. We'll have to see how that pans out. I, like I said, I, I take Jurgen Klopp, I, his word on this one. I don't think Liverpool will be signing a centre-back or, or anyone else in January, to be honest. Um, but whether that is a risk or not, only Jurgen Klopp can deep down know because we don't know enough about Quanta to know whether he is ready to consistently play games if he's called upon.
3: Yeah, I, I honestly wholeheartedly agree with that and there'll be, I know there'll be people watching and listening to this thinking like, come on, we're in a title race potentially we need to, this is time to strengthen that and I get all those elements but especially with someone like Jarrell Quanta, the one thing I think is, and we kind of talked about this before, if he makes a mistake that doesn't take him from brilliant prospect to terrible all of a sudden we shouldn't do that. If someone said to you, define a footballer that's going to make a mistake, it's a 20-year-old centre-half, that's the nature of the game, learning, so if he thinks he's ready, and like you said, I, I don't think we know the answer to that, to consistently go in there, that will probably, you know, yeah. be, be one to answer with the future, but it will yeah. be interesting to see.
1: It's worth mentioning that, you know, mistakes that happen in terms of, you know, the, the idea, the, the most important thing is that Qantas doesn't consistently make those mistakes. And as I say, they'll know whether that's happening in training or not, you know, because centre-halves are going to make mistakes from time to time. Joel Matic fires one into the top corner against Tottenham in the final minute yeah. of the game. Uh, that cost Liverpool. So it can happen, you know what I mean? I think and, and Joel Massett's is an absolute class act. So um, it just shows that, you know, I, I, I just would be interested to know what they sort of think about Kwanzaa deep down and, and whether they think he's ready. And as I say, if they don't think he's ready and they're, they're going to go with the four anyway. I think that's a, a poor decision and, a, a, and I, I don't want to see that. But we don't quite know at the moment. We'll sort of see. No. And I think with the, with the clamour around transfers as well that happens is that You know, people, as you say, people will say, oh, it's a title race. You know, you should just completely protect yourself and you should do this or that. But I can't remember a January window passing where Liverpool haven't been told they absolutely cannot allow this window to pass without signing anyone. I think it's happened for each of the last. Probably twenty seasons. I was probably going to yeah. say in the in the entire Klopp era. I can remember every time people telling me it had to happen, and that was whether Liverpool were running away with the league or whether Liverpool were behind, or you know every single situation people were saying Liverpool had to sign someone. So I take that sort of thing with a, with a pinch of salt. And as I say, that it all comes down to where Qantas is up to, and I I can't confidently say what 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 the answer is to that. We'll have to find out maybe, and we are going to find out I think because I, yeah. I, said, I don't think Liverpool are going to sign anyone.
4: allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
3: Yeah, and uh, as ever with an answer, sometimes the truth's halfway between, like the young player has a swipe at Mateta, that might be part of his, his makeup. However, the young player that... As you know, almost plays that Van Dyke style against that, you know, makes the attacker plays chicken with him, and you know, looks calm and composed. That's in his makeup myth. Maybe only games will give us the answer. We will have to see. And the only other thing, and I thought I've I've got to ask you this because this was really interesting to me. He got asked, and I'm sure, I know you were at the press conference, the Joel Matic situation. Said you know about the club doing the right, the decent thing, and he repeated that a few times. And then he was pressed. Could that mean a contract renewal? And. He did kind of go into that. Now, the only thing that almost reminded me of, I'll say a couple of times, David, was Henderson. You remember when we got to Henderson going back a while on his contract. and he mentioned this, and then there was the why now them talk that way. I suppose two things to this. Did it surprise you a bit that he was quite open to talk that way? Because it felt like, for me, public pressure on the owners a bit and you know the ones who make those decisions. And then I suppose for you, it's split because he's been brilliant this season, Matt it, but a renewal for an injury play, thirty-three year old as he will be at the end of the season. How do you see those two things?
1: Yeah, I think this I think his comments here have sort of been kind of misconstrued, to be honest. I think what he was saying was that and, and this is my understanding as well from people I've spoken to is that Liverpool will absolutely not allow Matip's contract to expire while he's undergoing his rehab. So he will, you know, right. whether that takes till September of next year or whatever, um, you know, they'll, they'll look after him. They'll make sure that he's okay and he's being paid while he's doing it, his rehab at the Axe. So they won't be asking him to do that for free there. And so they're going to look after him in that sense. Anything after that, no decision has been made in terms of whether they would sign him up to another one year deal or, um, you know, keep him around beyond that. Um, I, I, I don't expect that to be honest I, I I you know like I say it's my understanding that they've not made a decision on that and I don't I can't I just can't see it happening I, th- I think it's going to be Matic remains under contract till he, he's under, undergone his rehab completely and then and then probably leaves the club on a free transfer and and hopefully gets a move because he you know he, he hopefully he's still got a few more years left in him of, of, of top level football because he's a, a class act and he has been for Liverpool but I, I don't expect him to get you know, a one or two year extension at Liverpool. To be honest, I, I don't think that's going to happen now because of. The, I didn't think it was going to happen anyway, and the injury has pretty much sort of put the seal on that in terms of his his future at Liverpool. But he won't he won't be allowed to leave under a cloud. He will do his full rehab at Liverpool and and, and will be under contract while he does that. Which I think shows, as, as Klopp said it himself, a, a little bit of class really, and, and, and great to see Liverpool doing that. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Especially, I mean, even if it is this season is his last. Be great to see a presentation for him, like the others were last year on the, the pitch, all those types of things. But similar to you struggling to see a, a renewal, especially with what's needed. But time will tell on that one. I mean, the questions from the viewers, you can imagine I've siphoned out the eight to six thousand transfer requests and going through the names as normal, but there was the normal, there was an interesting few that sort of stood out that I did want to to come to. I mean, the first one is this you wait for the final group game of the Europa League. It is a dead rubber. We have to be honest on that. And like you said, a lot of people are sort of steering away towards no senior first team. I mean, I think as someone put, this is the one to stick sort of Kornemeyer up top with Mona Neuer behind him sort of in that role. But from a, a great to see sort of kids developing, which ones do you think have got a realistic chance of sort of even starting in this one because of the nature of game, a real chance to shine for them?
1: Yeah, To be honest, genuinely, for this game, I, 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 I don't want to see basically anyone who's going to start against United to 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 travel for this one. I just think Liverpool had such a busy period, and I know Jurgen Klopp sometimes shows a reluctance to to fully rotate in yeah. these situations or completely leave everybody at home. But I it, it just makes no sense whatsoever after you've got. You've ground so many wins out recently and it's been so hard and the players have done so well in a really difficult circumstances. Don't be dragging them on a plane now to, to take them across into Europe to, to play this game that is utterly meaningless. I, I would love to see sort of the entire team be made up and, and squad really be made up of kids. You know, maybe you, maybe you give Harvey Elliott a start as an example of yeah. someone who would probably like the minutes and could do an hour and, and you wouldn't expect him to start against United. So it wouldn't do him too much harm to do that. Even though he'll probably come on against United and win it off the bench, obviously. Um, but the, the, you know, mostly otherwise, you know, we want to see Luke Chambers at left back. I want to see Conor Bradley at right back, Kelleher in goal. I want to see James McConnell in midfield. Uh, you know, as many youngsters as you can sort of pack in that start and 11 as possible, because there's just no need for Liverpool to, to put anything into this physically. Um, because it will only cost an particularly true of the forwards at the moment. Absolutely need to be rested. They need to have a week off. Yeah. You know, midfield. As I say, you've got the likes of Elliot, who could probably will probably like a start, and you know Curtis Jones. If you need the rhythm, we'll have to see. Um, But but otherwise, yeah, I want to see a a whole raft of changes because it's just a it's huge risk otherwise and and needless really. Liverpool have have put the bodies through enough during this period, and and and, you know reap the rewards of qualifying early by by putting a a sort of a team of kids out really. Yeah, I
3: I agree with that, and the only worry I've got is. It's like you said, Jürgen just seems to like rhythm and almost, you're thinking with the forward line, just the way they're going at the moment, is he tempted to think I can get them a few goals here and move in, but the risks don't. Yeah, they they outweigh the reward far more for me in that regard. And I have limited it just to one name with all the transfer top because there's a few that have mentioned it. I'm sure you've seen it yourself and I may be pronouncing this wrong, but Maxine Lacroix, I think it's pronounced, the, the Wolfsburg centre-half French, you know, French international Anything about him that you've heard at all? There has been a lot of requests for that one.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> not not something I've heard anything about or sort of expect. As I said, I think January at the moment, I don't expect anything to happen. And, and he might be someone who's on the radar, I'd say, in terms of age profile and, and where he's up to contract-wise as well. So maybe someone they've looked at a little bit, but but not something I, I've heard anything concrete on or, or expect Liverpool to, to follow up in January.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And probably the final one, and I know there's two games in the week, so we shouldn't just ignore it. But obviously, the big one is Sunday, half four, Anfield, under the lights, getting towards Christmas time. I mean, Bruno Fernandez is out for them. Everyone's looking forward to this one. Bear in mind that I appreciate we don't know the full situation of everyone, injury-wise, and who might be back. There was quite a few asked this, and I'd be intrigued to know it as well. Who are you starting for the United game? Because there is a few questions, especially around that midfield forward line. What are you leaning towards right now?
1: Yeah, so I think the back five picks itself in terms of Alisson yeah. Trent, Canate, Van Dyke, and Costas Simakas for me. I think that's a, a no-brainer. I think Simakas on that mm-hmm. left-hand side because you want that balance and you think Liverpool yeah. are going to dominate the ball as well. Um, so not necessarily a game for, for Joe Gomez to start out there, but... Um, yeah, midfield and, and, and forward line a little trickier. I I, I think with the midfield, I think McAllister will be straight back in the six, expecting to be fit for this one. That's the that's the talk at the moment. Um so lie as well, sort of a, a natural pick, even though his forms a little dipping a little. It, it, interestingly, just to quickly talk about this because it, it, I found it interesting is that he didn't actually create. You know, it, creatively, I feel like he's he's lost a little bit of something recently, but he he actually ended up with a ninety four percent pass accuracy against Crystal Palace, which wow. I thought was really really interesting because I think it shows that he's not creating as much, but maybe he's playing it a little bit safe, and I wonder whether mm-hmm. that is on instruction of the manager whether he wants things a little bit more solid in that midfield area. I mean, it didn't work, whatever he was trying, to be honest. But it, I just thought that was an interesting one, whether it is an instruction for the manager, and that is a reason why he's not creating as much at the moment. But anyway, I still think he should be in that starting uh, starting lineup against United. Um, and on the left-hand side is is, is probably the, the difficult decision in that midfield. But for me, if Curtis Jones is fit, as I said, I, I think he has to be back in the team at the moment. He knows what these games are about he keeps the ball and Gravenberg's not been doing that very well I think you know he's he's yeah. floating around 75%-ish passing accuracy at the moment you don't want to be doing that don't want to give United a sniff so Jones has to be in there and he wins his duels as well which is important um, and in terms of the forward line Mo Salah obviously nailed on a um, little bit more difficult elsewhere I think Luis Diaz probably has to start down that left-hand side because you don't have Jota you know hopefully he could even be back for Arsenal with the way he's, he's getting on in training we'll, you know if he could be back for this one, then it will probably be on the bench, but then that will be a huge boost. But I think it will be Luis Diaz to start. And then it's Gakpo or Nunez is a, a really tough one. And I, I don't, I honestly, it's so difficult. I, I just think, I think Gakpo is, is playing marginally better at the moment. And, and obviously you lose something in terms of threat with Nunez, but he just, fought, you know, I, I don't want to be too harsh on him because I think, again, he's another one. Every forward isn't particularly playing fantastically well. Yeah. I don't, be too harsh on him, but he's he's a long time without a goal now, is it eight games and you know yes. constantly offside at the minute he's fallen into that trap of doing making those mistakes again um and missing chances as well. So I just think you know maybe it would be good in this game to to use him off the bench and hopefully he can get a goal from there that will will boost his confidence. But maybe with Gakpo he just keeps hold of the ball. He keeps the pressure on. Um, you know I, I would maybe just go for Gakpo but it's so it's so marginal that one I wouldn't be disappointed at all if Nunez was to start because I think he's, he's close to getting it right and he's just in a little dip at the moment and development isn't linear we can expect that you know he starts the season well and sometimes falls away a little bit um, but yeah I, I just edge for Gakpo in this one
3: Yeah it really is tough I think like you say development isn't linear because a lot of people are looking at this like oh it's back to last season like think in real terms, it, it is a, a trough where he's had peaks. I mean, some of this season he's been absolutely brilliant, we've got to be honest in that and his all-round performance. This is a significant trough. I think, like you said, it's the it's that Bournemouth world-class strike in the Carabaos the last time he scored and, and he hasn't looked sort of just on it in his all-round game either, so to speak, so it wouldn't be a surprise but either way, I mean, it gives you real options off the bench, like you say, with Harvey and, you know, you'd expect I'm definitely everyone's hoping that 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 will be more than enough. And probably the final question I should ask you, because we're naturally actually going to be asking people this all week. If you had to predict the score and scoreline for the United game on Sunday, what would you
1: steer towards? Uh, I think the United will try and keep it down, but I think they are going to run away with it in the end. I'm going I'm to say 3-0. I'll take another 7-0, though. That would be interesting. Yeah, indeed. Indeed.
3: <laughs> I, I, I do. I think especially, like you say, with Bruno out, I do think they'll sit tight, and I think they will also play literally counter-attack for one of a better phase and it will be trying to to break them down. But everyone expects us to do that. And like you say, for the misfiring, if you can't get up, for, the players will be up for this. We just know that factually.
1: I think I think what I want to see more than anything as well is is a, is a good Liverpool performance because yeah. you know, like we, we can extol the virtues of grinding it out in a period like this. But as I say, I'm hoping they'll all get a rest of the Europa League game. And I want that... To see that freshness back and, and and to be back at Anfield as well, and you want to see Liverpool look a bit more dominant and, and sort of make a statement really going into going into Christmas. If they can beat United and beat Arsenal, they know they'll be top with a nice little cushion at, at Christmas, and that would be very nice. But you want to do it in a convincing fashion as well. You don't want to stumble there, and because that gives you worries. Then and, and they haven't played fantastically well for a while now, so right. hopefully they can they can win both and, and win well and convincingly and play well, and, and then you feel very very good about what's going to happen over the remainder of the. Season. Season.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Especially those, like you say, those games coming up, there's most of them are at Anfield. There's very little travelling involved. So you want to see the performances come as as well as the results at this time of the year. And listen, fingers crossed, next time we're talking on Monday, we will still be top of the league and three points against United will do that. So all it leads me to really say, as ever, is David, thanks for your time and your insight. Much appreciated, as ever. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. And ladies and gents, that was another.